I'm going to go in the intro now. All right. Hit it. Thank you for listening to Hip Squared, episode zero. This is a b- 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 bonus episode between seasons one and two. I'm your co-host, John Beecham. And I'm Troy Kramer. And this is American Fantastic's pop culture podcast, celebrating everything from the mainstream to the independent, weird, old, and local. Troy, how's it going? Uh, it's been uh, it's been pretty lazy, actually. Yeah. Not have a podcast to record every week. It's, I know. I don't know what to do with my time anymore. Exactly. We just, like, Thursday afternoon rolls around and we're, like, twiddling our thumbs. Mm-hmm. Well, not really. Like, we've been, I've been not as much white knuckling it, mm-hmm. but, uh... I was gonna say, it gives me more time to consume pop culture, so yeah, that's something to talk about exactly. Later. We've been devouring pop culture with a voracious appetite. Mm-hmm. And, uh, with us today, uh, we have the third brother. We unlocked the third brother. <laughs> After 18 episodes, you get to unlock a third brother. <laughs> and, uh, with us today is, uh, Thomas Beecham. Greetings. Greetings and salutations. Indeed. Exactly. And, um... We're going to talk a little bit about pop culture together. This is a episode zero of Hip Squared. It's actually um, Hip Cube. Yeah. So you guys don't know this because podcasting is an audio medium, but, um, you know, since there's, we can get the length and the width of pop culture with Troy and I, so we're sort of letting this, like, flat of wrinkle in time, two-dimensional, like, Paper Mario space. Mm-hmm. But now that Thomas is here, he's, like, brought us into the meat space. Now we're Hip Cube. Are you saying that I'm the meathead? Are you saying that I'm actually bringing meat to the topic? I think, well, it could have more than one meaning. Yeah. Yeah. I thought we were going to bring something from, Meat like, space, high, yeah. Like high. Oh, the yes. depth, yeah. Mm-hmm. Meat space is the uh, another way to say IRL in internet culture. Oh. Really? So now, yeah. So we're in the meat space now. Whoa. But not that there's people listening to this. People listening are listening on the internet. Yeah. So, just, yeah. Yeah. so it's not IRL. It's a little mixed metaphor. We're recording at IRL. True. But you're not listening to it IRL. Yes. We're yeah. also getting very off topic. We are. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, let's get to it then. Um, so the first, what I'm going to talk about first, uh, something that uh, Thomas and I were really into when we were younger, which is uh, professional wrestling. And uh, speaking <laughs> of professional wrestling, on Netflix, a new series is premiere called GLOW, which stands for the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. And uh, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling is also um, based on a documentary by the same name, Glow. Oh, okay. And it's about a re- women's wrestling league from the from 1986 to 1990. Hmm. Thomas, do you have any memories from like world like professional wrestling from the late 80s? Big Boss Man, Big Macho boss Man, Macho Man. Of course, Andre the Giant. Mm-hmm. Oh, is he 80s? Okay. He's always. Uh, that's fair. I mean, Andre the Giant is a quintessential wrestler. Look, I have to ask because this is before my time, so. I actually don't know what's included here. And then there was always Lady Jessica, which yeah. I think gets us back to the fact that there is always a starlet of some yeah. sort ready exactly. to burst forth in wrestling, which begs the question, why yeah. are women in this partly male-dominated exactly. well, I think and what does GLOW have to do with well, that? Part, part of why I think they were in the WWF was to be like kind of objectified. And like Jessica was always somebody that Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage would fight over. Do you remember Scary Sherry? <laughs> yes. Okay, so Scary Sherry was kind of like this goth, like, um, glam rock. She was supposed to be the bad girl. Okay. And Jessica was, like, the good girl. Okay. And Macho Man would fight over, like, hey, Hulkster, me and Scary Sherry are gonna rip you apart. I can't do it as good of a Macho Man as Thomas Man, but... <laughs> uh, 
let it be said that yeah so what glow does is um in the 1980s there was a and you can i definitely encourage both the um documentary and the show are both on netflix okay they're both called glow um mm-hmm. it's, I, it's easy to tell which one's which yeah it's <laughs> easy to tell which one's which um but just from the documentary there was a somebody um he was like a basically like a las vegas mogul okay and he had a bunch of money and he'd wanted to invest in a women's wrestling league. Mm-hmm. And so they started Glow, but it was kind of like, it wasn't like these were women that were already wrestlers. They were like trained from scratch for the most part. Okay. And they got one of the Guerrero brothers. If anybody knows who Eddie Guerrero is, I think it was one of his uncles or somebody. Okay. Uh, to train these women. And they basically had an open audition. It was just like, hey, guess what? This is going to be a women's wet wrestling league. Mm-hmm. And that was enough to get some of them to just leave. Mm-hmm. But then the ones that stuck around, they turned into these like really badass like women wrestlers right whoa okay so yeah so i don't have like any background in this mm-hmm. did was women's wrestling like well basically big at all? Like, no. I'm sorry, I'm okay so totally it's like it was like a sideshow kind of thing okay so thomas do you remember like when they have like i know this isn't the pc term anymore but like midget wrestling <sighs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh geez and so what um what the ladies wrestling was it was kind of like a uh, where we had little people. Okay, or, uh, so it was, it was the it was like the sideshow. It was the break in the middle of the yeah, rest exactly. Of the show. So unlike the the low rent wrestling circuits, you would have like a women's match, mm-hmm. and it was just kind of like something to fill the seats and something to kind of like distract from the main event. But, the, but what was different about Glow was that the women. It was the whole thing. Exactly. It was the whole show. Yeah. Okay, so and that's the more. It's the dramatic side of wrestling, yeah. where it's all telling a story. Mm-hmm. Um, but background it's super over the top, super campy, like crazy okay. costumes. Yeah. Thomas, what was your favorite uh, wrestling costume from back in the day? The Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. So course. what is the Ultimate Warrior? What did he look like? So bikini. Yeah. Man bikini, of course. Man bikini. Okay. Yeah. So, man bikini, tan thighs, and then really what was quintessentially <laughs> the Ultimate Warrior was the boomerang that was painted on his face yeah um multicolored was war paint multicolored from (laughs) cheek to forehead down the nose yes um and the multicolors were always matched by strings yeah that for some reason were tied around both his biceps and his um mid-calf boots yeah he needed to he needed to show off his roided muscles and like it accentuated the um yeah, the rippling. They were pseudo tourniquets. Yeah, if something <laughs> would go wrong in the ring, just if, tighten it up yeah, a little bit more. If Hulk Hogan like accidentally ripped his arm off, he just tightened one of those tourniquets. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> the Ultimate Warrior would have fought, you know, half an arm probably. Yeah. But bringing it back to Glow, so like the Ultimate Warrior's costume would have like fit in perfectly well. So there were like women that had like crazy face paint. Mm-hmm. They relied on like stereotypes a lot. So there was like a voodoo woman named Big Bad Mama. Okay. There was um. So this is, does this go from objectifying just a few women to an entire like well, the entire cast? It's kind now? of like it's kind of like instead of being about men watching and looking for a TNA. Uh huh. It, it's it's still part of that because like there's some beautiful women in it in the costumes. But it's also, like, women, like, instead of being the sideshow, like, women were the main event. Okay. So it also kind of became this, like, really empowering thing. And, like, hmm. for these women wrestlers, a lot of them, it was their first opportunity to um, to really shine. And what the TV show does, so Genji Cohen, um, who did Weeds and Orange is the New Black. Right. Um, created Glow, like, based on the documentary. Mm-hmm. And um, 
some of the big stars in it, Mark Marin plays the CD wrestling manager. Mm-hmm. And Mark Marin is more of a comedian and a writer than an actor, so he plays, plays different versions of himself. Mm-hmm. But he's like a coked up 80s Mark Marin. And then there's a Alison Brie, mm-hmm. who's the main character, and she's like this very earnest, struggling actress in LA who um, joins this women wrestling league like in an impulse because she can't find serious work. Right. And so part of like the sexism in Hollywood in the 80s is brought in is because she wants to read for like man roles. Oh, and, and the, and they the, just won't let her. Exactly. And the cold open is actually her reading very well this like really dramatic monologue. But then the uh, casting director says like, you just read the man's part. And then she, says she reads her own part and it's like, you know, like your wife is online too, Mr. Johnson. That sounds... That does sound familiar. I've seen some of this. You might have seen clips of it. Yeah. But I think it brings back the larger point of what wrestling really does, which is allows you to um, suspend disbelief and write your own character. Yeah, exactly. It brings in cultures characters. And so there are... It gives you ways of bringing people that are otherwise very underrepresented in movie, culture, film, out into the open. And so if we just think about more recent wrestlers you have stone cold steve austin the Mm -hmm. man the mad blue collar worker right and you have um the you know the in when i was a kid the million dollar man was just a smarmy walsh character and so what wrestling allows us to do is really bake characters down to their essence and allows them to go allows them to go and become in fact who they are yeah. And allows them and allows us to really take the nuance out of a character to say, how do we really feel about this topic? How do we really feel about this character? And do I identify and yeah. love or do I absolutely despise and, and can I allow them to despise despise against them and then literally hope that they get their head smashed. Exactly. Yeah. It's like yeah. yeah, you like amp up these stereotypes to the nth degree mm-hmm. and, and then they you know, like you play into like the heel and the face culture. And that's like what these women did too. So they were taking like all the conventions of wrestling mm-hmm. and like the stereotypes and the over the top stuff and um it's funny because in the show so in the documentary it shows about how the Steve, who was the director, would take little bits of these characters mm-hmm. and then like basically on impulse would um would turn them into stereotypes, and some of them were problematic. Like there was a woman who he turned to and said, "You're you're jailbait." <laughs> so, like, this yeah. isn't in the show, but in the, but it does address this in the um, actual show because um, this is very light spoilers. But there is a, a black woman, like a very powerful big black woman, but her character is designed as the welfare queen, oh. which in the '80s was a negative stereotype that Ronald Reagan and the Republican Party would use yeah. to um, you know to criticize the welfare state. But in this show, it was like they're exploring these stereotypes, and then like, she kind of embraces that character at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But then she has a conversation with the manager saying, like, hey, like, this is, I don't like this role. Like, my son is going to have to watch this. Like, I don't want to just be the welfare queen, mm-hmm. you know? But, um, and the- <laughs> okay, so I'm going to divert. So, who are the people that are like your generic wrestlers? Like, um, Who's the one that always went? John Cena. Who is yeah. John Cena supposed to be? Is he the is he the like John Cena? I the bro is like, or is he the everyman? I think he's the broy everyman. Okay. Um, is I, he the person we're supposed to identify with? Yeah. Okay. And I think too, like, there's other like it, it's almost like um like the way they describe it in the documentary too is like there's cartoon characters. They're like mm-hmm. live action cartoon characters. So when you think of like the Undertaker, yeah, he's just like an incarnation of death. death. Yeah. Uh, when you think of Hulk Hogan, he's like the incarnation of like the American hero circa the mm-hmm. 1980s. You know, like say your prayer. The action everybody. hero. And and what these women were doing is they were basically taking those ideas but applied it to themselves. So 
This is a spoiler for the pilot episode, so if you haven't mm -hmm. seen the first episode of Glow and you don't want any spoilers, pause it now. But the main character, um, she's actually having an affair with the husband okay. of her of her very best friend in Hollywood. Okay. And it's like a very like she both they both know it's wrong and it like happened two times. Mm -hmm. But anyway, this all comes out and at the end of the first episode, they get in a real physical fight in the ring. Oh. Because her Hollywood friend, who was like used to be a soap opera star but had a baby and got written out, mm -hmm. fights her in the ring. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then Mark Marins, who's the manager, brings her back because he's so impressed with her skills, and then she becomes his hero. And then the main character, Ruth, becomes the homewrecker. Well, so the homewrecker oh. is like her character. So it's like so it's like the stereotype of mm -hmm. the homewrecker becomes her character in the show. Well, isn't that the whole? There's a there's a story where something very similar to that happened in mm -hmm. real in like real wrestling as well, yeah. where the two of the big guys like got into a fight because one guy liked the other. Yeah. Uh, when they relationships and all that, mm -hmm. but it had the same thing where the realism started to trickle in, and I don't yeah. remember if it turned people off or people liked it more because, yeah. like, it was more realistic, and... But it kind of, like, feeds into kayfabe and, like, whether, like, you admit the, the, the uh, you, you drop the facade or whatever. Yeah, is this a reality show or mm -hmm. is this an entertainment? Well, I think the cool thing about wrestling is it sort of becomes both. Yes. Because it's, like, like what they say in the documentary is, like, I've never figured out a way to fake fight. Mm -hmm. It's, like, they're really, like... Because she's like, they're just like, you know, they uh, were really slamming into each other, and if they didn't pull it off convincingly, they would be yelling, like, BS, BS, but this yeah. is a family show, they're not really saying BS. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is a family show? Well, kind of. Okay. My um, my standard for this show is I would be okay if my mom listened to it. Oh, okay. So wow, that's, really? That's my standard for the show in terms of, like, yeah. So, what's the demographic that they're shooting for for this I would audience? Say, well, is it, is it 80s okay, so, wrestling fans? So, in the it... actual. Um, show when it was on, it was super campy and over the top, so even more ridiculous than like um, WWF. Like they would okay. do skits, they would perform raps, and what they said was like it was like college kids who liked it for the campy value okay. of it, and of course like you like looking at the women's bodies, mm -hmm. and then there was um, young girls who just liked seeing powerful women like um, hmm. Kelly, for example. Like this is kind of. I mean, I would say Xena could be, like, a wrestling character. Okay. Like, you could take Xena out of Xena oh, Warrior okay. Princess and yeah. put her in the ring. But, like, Kelly grew up watching Xena, and, of course, like, um, for some men were watching Xena because it's, like, Lucy Lawless is hot, and mm -hmm. so is that Gabrielle chick. Mm -hmm. But for girls like Kelly, like, she liked watching this powerful Xena woman, like, kick everybody's butt. And I think that's what it was kind of like for Glow in the 80s was like for those young girls too and like they felt empowered watching that even though it was still just like a sleazy wrestling show in a lot of ways huh. but i don't know but yeah everybody should check it out um i didn't realize so definitely watch the pilot episode of uh glow if you're at all interested in it okay i think it's one of the best pilots i've seen and pilot just seems like the first episode to see whether they're going to pick it up as a series mm -hmm. or not did it give it did it give a good like attitude for the rest of the yeah, show Is yes it exactly similar? okay it, it sets up the premise for the rest of the show it's really well written um, if you are into wrestling mm -hmm. or are curious at all, the documentary is also really good. Okay. Uh, a lot of great archival footage and it's neat too, cause the documentary is a lot rougher and cheesier. Okay. Because of course, like in the show, because it's a highly produced Netflix show made in 2017, <laughs> even though they're trying to make it look rough around the edges, everything is extremely polished. Mm -hmm. But in the, um... In the, the documentary, docu it's like really the over to the top. So it's like imagine so using the original film. Imagine a low budget '80s hair metal music video. Okay. So not like Motley Crue, but like the local band that's trying to be like Motley Crue in like Miami made a music video with women wrestlers. That's like the production <laughs> value. 
Ah, uh, yes. And the other thing is, um, I, there's a really good, so because Mark Marin has a wonderful podcast, WTF. Okay. Um, he interviewed a lot of the creators and actresses and actors involved in Glow. And Genji Cohen, who wrote the show and has, and has like created the show, it's basically her baby, mm-hmm. had her on. So if anybody liked Weeds or liked Orange is the New Black, this is kind of like her new show. Um, and so like if you like any of those other two, you should listen to that. And I my like racist stereotyping came out because I always considered Genji Cohen like I thought that was probably like some sort of like South Asian like Indian or like Pakistani mm-hmm. guy who like was like a second generation like an Issy Zansari type. Okay, yeah. So that's who I was picturing. No, Genji Cohen is a Jewish woman from like New York. No, <laughs> and so she was on Mark Maron. I'm like, you're close. <laughs> like, like yeah, it's like uh, you're stereo- like like trying to judge people's ethnicity based on their names. There it's like sometimes it just doesn't work out. <laughs> Yeah, everybody should check that out. So Glow on Netflix, the series, Glow, the documentary, also on Netflix. If you want to get really underneath the surface, um, the WTF Mark Maron interviews with Genji Cohen. He also um, interviews some of the, he interviewed the uh, female wrestler, like the real wrestler that trained the women. So they got he got an actual woman professional wrestler who's like a current day women's wrestler mm-hmm. to train um, the women on the show the Netflix show oh, and then Mark Maron interviewed her. So if you want to hear somebody who's an actual real women's wrestler, okay, I can't pull up her name off the top of my head, but if you guys Google WTF Mark Maron female wrestler, that'll be the first thing that comes up. Hmm. And it overlaps with mental health issues involved too because she's also the <laughs> actress, the woman that trained the other wrestlers is bipolar. Oh, okay. So anyway, that's that's wow. about all I have to say about cover all the spectrum. Yeah, well, covered all the bases. Speaking of beating pe- uh, people up, yes, I watched the uh, new Spider-Man Homecoming movie Thwipped. this weekend. Yep, thwip, a lot of thwipping. There's a lot of thwipping. Yeah. Um, so, uh, back when Civil War came out, uh, the new Marvel movie that was, okay. I think, the most expensive. I, yeah, movie. and I need to kind of like ask somebody who's not too into superheroes. Yes. Do you know what Civil War is? I recognize it. It is a show. Okay. Based on the Marvel. If you had to guess, like. What would you like if you just had to pretend like make up a plot for Civil War? Like, what would the plot of Civil War be? Um, Marvel superhero group A yeah. fights Marvel superhero group B um, after they were normally both heroes. Ding, 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 yeah, ding, yeah, ding. yeah, that's it. Okay. Good job. That's dead on. I actually hadn't seen Civil War before I saw the new Spider Man. And it's movie. based on a well, Civil War was based on a comic book arc, yeah, which was a huge, which was a huge hugely popular yeah. uh, arc, uh, but essentially. I don't know. I don't think you need to know that much about no. Civil War. Spider-Man makes a cameo in Civil War, right? Yeah. Go ahead, Thomas. So, on some level, we had Batman versus Spider-Man. Superman. Batman versus Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this is a natural outgrowth of Batman versus Superman. Well, I think I could, Civil, I think War, Civil War came first. first. Yeah. Yeah. So well, the, the versus what you what you are touching on though is I think that like DC Comics did the hero versus hero first. So, like, you look at the old Golden Age comics, there was, like, Batman versus Superman, or Superman mm-hmm. versus Wonder Woman, or um, there's a really famous episode, or, sorry, not episode, comic book issue where Superman and the Flash have a foot race. Oh, yeah. But what Civil War does is kind of, like, it takes these, like, social issues into it, mm-hmm. and basically it's, like, um, well, in the comics, it's, like, superheroes are so dangerous, and they have so much power that we need to create a registry. Yeah. yeah. Which kind of parallels the whole ideas of like a Muslim registry or kind of like those sort of things in the aftermath of nine eleven. Yeah, it's they apply to that me. to superheroes. Iron Man is for the registry because he's like, you know, we have a lot of responsibility. We need to protect people safe. Mm-hmm. Steve Rogers, Captain America says, "No, uh, you're infringing on my freedom, you fascist." And then that <laughs> sets up what becomes civil war. And it's way more complicated than that. But yeah, yeah like, but that's a good. That, that's the premise of it. 
So, um, so Spider-Man Homecoming is directly after that. And essentially what happened is Spider-Man made a uh, cameo in Civil War. Mm-hmm. The big reason he did is because this was the first time that Marvel actually had the rights back to Spider-Man. Yeah, because Sony had Spider-Man for a long time, which is why the Tobey Maguire movies mm-hmm. didn't, like, had Spider-Man, but he didn't, like... Like, Spider-Man, like, Spider-Man never cameoed in the X-Men movies, which were out at the same time. Right, he never showed were, up in anything Yeah, else. they were owned by two different studios, but now Marvel has Spider-Man back. Yeah, so um, they're going to have a lot of fun with that. They are. Um, and Marvel Studios makes the best superhero movies, in my opinion. Yes. Since they started making Iron Man, mm-hmm. I think it's been, they've not failed since. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, so Spider-Man Homecoming came out yesterday, so mm-hmm. it was like July 8th, so it came out July 7th. Um, it is the lightest superhero movie mm-hmm. I've seen, and it's just wonderful. So, so many superhero movies nowadays are like dark. Um, the villain is super evil, yeah. like so, like so against them. They're doing evil, horrible things. Um, in Spider-Man: Homecoming, you just have like, I don't know, you have these characters that you feel for. I mean, nobody talks like this yeah. the entire movie. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not exactly. No. <laughs> okay. Um, Is there at least a villain that talks like this? Yeah, Mi- Spider-Man Homecoming. <laughs> yeah, Michael, Michael Keaton still has the growly, like, talking through a respirator voice. Okay. But uh, um, it's just, it it takes itself as a joke. Because it, kno- it knows how funny Spider-Man that, can be. That's my biggest critique of superhero movies, is they take themselves way too seriously. Yeah. And I think there's room for that. I think the Christopher Nolan, like, Dark Knight and Batman Mr. Begins are masterpieces. But then it became, like... Because they were so successful, mm-hmm. it's like everybody tried to follow that mold, and it's like, if you don't really have something new to say, it's just like that dark, gritty, for the sake of being dark and gritty. Yeah, so Spider-Man, so the new Spider-Man movie, it, it takes itself super light. It does things like, oh, he's hungry, so he goes to a sandwich shop and buys a sandwich, yeah. and then he goes up on a rooftop and is eating a sandwich in the Spider-Man Yeah, costume. and that's one of the funniest things, like, when they would do panels of, like, Spider-Man with his mask pulled up, eating, like, a hot dog. Yeah. And, like, stuffing his face. Or, um, I'm trying to think, the other thing that was really funny, and I don't think they really pulled this off with the Tobey Maguire movies, but in the comics, Peter Parker as a high schooler is, like, very shy and bullied, but then when he puts on the costume and becomes Spider-Man, his confidence goes up to the nth degree, and when he's, like, punching people in the face, he's, like, making fun of them Mm -hmm. and teasing them and provoking them, and that was, like, part of the appeal of the comics, is he would have this really hilarious banter with this, like, megalomaniacal supervillain that's trying to take over the world, and then Spider-Man, like, taking pot shots at them and saying how silly they are. Yes. Well, there's also a, a level of understanding how superhero-ness impacts the mundane. Mm-hmm. And I think that that intersection, because we think of being a superhero being a, at this elevated plane, but there's also, if you want to really think, well, a superhero's got to eat. Yeah. And if mm-hmm. you're making webs that are stronger exactly. and more flexible than steel where's that energy come from yeah. so doesn't superman not have to eat and if i could be superman right yeah. we don't ever think about like if i it's ever okay. think about if i'm going to be superman i'm not thinking about fighting crime i'm thinking about move like not having to wait in traffic yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so i feel like can you imagine when, moving day it sounds so much nicer exactly like you just carry like 18 boxes well, what happens once? when batman has been out prowling gotham city for four hours and he has to take a dump like i never like <laughs> that would be one of the funniest things to put Bat in the comic paper like, batman squatting in an alley with his cape he's like, he's on like, his shoulders he's like yeah it's like I'll have to get Alfred back here. <laughs> but it is cool, like, showing that human side of superheroes, and I think that that creates, like... Because that's what Marvel Comics really did well, um, because Peter Parker was such a relatable... Because mm-hmm. in the golden age of superheroes, everybody was a grown-up. Everybody was an adult. Right. Yeah, Bruce Wayne, the millionaire. Clark Kent was a re- newspaper reporter. 
Um, you know, you had Aquaman, who's like the son of Atlantis. Mm-hmm. But what Stan Lee did in the early 60s, he's like, let's create a character who's like a nerdy high school mm-hmm. kid because you know he, what well, he guess created... who read comic books in the early 60s yeah <laughs> he created characters that had flaws in them exactly and up to that point you didn't really have flaws unless they were flaws that going to that were going to be result in that comic mm. so like yeah spider-man's a young guy iron man is a really cocky billionaire but also like they wrote in that he eventually became like struggle with alcoholism mm-hmm. and um and things like that and like yeah it's like great to have that kind of so that's the difference between the golden age and the silver age that Spider-Man is a part of. Right. Is um the, yeah like the characters become more flawed and then that's kind of like dipping your toe in the water of what would happen in the seventies and the eighties when you have people like Wolverine and the Punisher who become like anti super yeah <laughs> and like Spider-Man is the one who like gent like he's like the ones that are like gently pushing that like from the golden boy to the more flawed human, to what would eventually become, like, the dirtiest anti-heroes, like Logan and Deadpool and right. Wolverine, like you see the movies from today. Mm-hmm. So Spider-Man Homecoming, Troy, like, um, can you, like, you don't have to give, like, plot for plot, but, like, what's the sure. whole, like, premise of the movie? Like, what is the big conflict going on? So the the big start of the movie is um, there's a, essentially there's these workers, these contractors that were contracted to clean up um, the mess that had been created from aliens invading during civil war because the the scroll who were like shape-shifting aliens that's part of the civil war yeah Yeah, so there are a bunch of aliens that have started attacking so these contractors like joe schmo kind of guys were able to pull off this con like Mm -hmm. get the contract from the city to clean it up well marvel shield comes in or some big organization comes in just takes the contract from them this guy that spent all this money like getting trucks getting the supplies that he needs his um, name michael keaton this is, it's, well, it's not Michael Keaton. I don't remember what his name is. <laughs> Adrian Toomes is the, the character name of the Vulture. That's his, like, alias. It might be the same. I would have to check. I don't yeah. remember. I think they might have given him a different name. They might have given or they might not names. have mentioned it. Yeah, but, um, so, anyways, he's doing all this, and he's like, I, I spent all this money. I'm going to go broke. Well, they end up having some of the supplies, and like, we'll just keep cleaning this stuff up anyways. And then they have a scientist that's putting together, like, okay, well, we can use this alien technology mm-hmm. to make weapons and that's the bad guy's story okay um spider-man is from the side of he was just in civil war he just had like the richest guy in the world come to him and ask him for help um mm-hmm. in taking down like captain america and all this stuff and then once he's done that tony stark kind of goes like okay no go be on your way we'll, okay, we'll let so you go if we need slight, you slight note in the comics spider-man switches sides he goes from iron man to captain america in the course of civil war but in the movie he just stays on iron man's side the whole time yeah. okay yeah that's just i'm sure it's just a plot yeah. line they couldn't i just need that clarify because i didn't know like how like he's still on good terms with tony stark he's still on good terms with okay. tony stark this his spider-man suit is he got from tony stark oh, and he actually gets to keep it and it's okay. it's the super yeah he didn't make it like in he didn't make it himself like in some of the other ones yeah but it's this super high-tech suit that tony's made and um it's actually really funny because it's got all of these things that tony's put in but that he doesn't know about so it's got yeah. a tracking oh, so system like on always it. being surprised and things like that yeah, yeah yeah things will happen where he's being surprised um there's one point where um this is a minor spoiler he gets attacked by the vulture and the vulture like takes him up in the air and is like mm-hmm. bringing him up higher and higher and higher and all of a sudden a parachute shoots out because <laughs> <laughs> awesome. tony stark Star could put a parachute oh, like when he went the up too high. Yeah. yeah in the in the comics um because spider-man in the comics like especially when he gets older he peter parker is this incredibly talented scientist mm-hmm. and so in the comics like he actually designs his own webbing right um and he does that a bit in the movie he does that a bit in the movie mm-hmm. and then there's also things like called spider tracers 
which look like little tiny, like almost like like uh, electronic ticks. Oh yeah. And he would like throw them at you, and then that mm-hmm. would be like his homing device. Well, there's also a funny thing. It's sort of like I think it was them making fun of the bat signal, mm-hmm. but they eventually put this device on Spider-Man's belt, which is like a big red Spider-Man logo, would like shine down on the bad guys and kind of intimidate them. So like, and Spider-Man is not. Like, I think they were making fun of Batman a lot. He also, uh, in the comics, eventually got a spider dune buggy, which would, like, and it would, and because it's Spider-Man, you could, like, ride it up on, like, the walls of buildings and stuff. Oh, man. So, like, and that's a funny thing, because, like, there's parts where I'm glad that the movie doesn't take itself so seriously, because that was, like, part of the fun part of the comics, is, like, yeah. you would have the very serious moments when the fights, but it was, like, punctuated by all these moments of levity and like spider-man like telling jokes spider-man and... being silly exactly yeah so they they pulled off that persona with spider-man fantastic and he's said... very funny he's as a, as peter parker he's mm. the best peter parker i've ever seen okay. he has a stutter he when he talks the... to girls oh yeah yeah he's super nervous is mary is there a mary jane or gwen stacy character in it or no is it... neither of them are in this one so it's just him there's no like love triangle involved. oh there's a love triangle okay. but it's neither of them okay it's so a we'll... new girl named liz i think and she's oh, a senior liz, and, yeah. he's, and he's a Liz is um Liz is like because it's funny because in the comics they were sort of like because Archie comics were super popular when Spider-Man was first created Mm -hmm. and so there was like Liz and Flash and Peter and Mm -hmm. Mary Jane and they were kind of like the Archie's gang of the early Spider-Man comics so a lot of those characters are coming back it sounds like yeah so Liz is in it uh they also have Flash the bully yeah Flash Um, Thompson yeah but now Flash is kind of a nerd he's also Asian he's played by uh Tony Revoli uh, he's the game, same guy that played Zero Mustafa in... Grand um, Budapest Hotel. Grand Budapest yeah. Hotel. Um, and then Donald Glover was in it? Donald Glover was in it. Yeah, Donald Glover was in it. It's just like some side guy that shows yeah. up for like a cameo. Just must have, I wonder if Childish Gambino was on the soundtrack. Because Donald Glover is Probably. Childish Gambino. Thomas, what's the last superhero movie you saw? <laughs> Any of you... Any? In entirety? Or in just, total? Or portions of? Um, the last one that you got into, like, you just was interested in to you. Or, like, you don't have to watch the whole thing, but, like, did you get into a scene? Or, like, would you say, like, oh, that's cool? Like, I appreciated The Dark Knight. Okay. I think oh, that's yeah. the last. I think that did is you the Did you see... Uh, that's the one with Heath Ledger, right? No, before... Like, no, that's... Or the origin story. Well, Batman Begins. Was Batman first... Begins. Okay. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thomas and I used to, I thought, I think one that did a really good job of um, not taking itself too seriously and having the cartoonishness from our childhood was uh, Tim Burton's Batman. Yes. I remember our dad took us to see Tim Burton's Batman in theaters, and I think that did a really good balancing act between the serious character, Mm -hmm. but also like the silliness and cartoonishness of it, and especially speaking of Michael Keaton. Oh, yeah. There's like cartoonish scenes of Michael Keaton and then Jack Nicholson, of course. Oh, yeah. was, who was Michael Keaton in those? He was Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And oh, then, okay. It's funny, too, because it's like Michael Keaton, his, like, his, the arc of his career since the 80s has kind of followed the arc of superhero movies because you had Batman in 1988, which I consider the first like modern superhero movie where it was like mm-hmm. a huge blockbuster and they kind of went over the top. Then they kind of deconstructed the superhero genre in Birdman, yeah, which uh, won an Oscar like a couple years ago. Yeah, I think it, won it, was the, it won the Oscar for, yeah. no, for it Best Picture. Best, yeah. best Picture. And then... Um, and then now, it's, it, they're paralleling the... I think it's like a tongue-in-cheek joke. Mm-hmm. They cast Birdman as, as the vulture yeah. in Spider-Man Homecoming. <laughs> but you thought Michael Keaton, like, he was a good choice. Like, I thought he was good, yeah. He pulled he pulled his role well. Um, he was scary, but 
he was one of the few super villains that I was like, yeah, no, I see why he's doing this. Like, he's he's a working man that like was going to lose everything, and he needed to make money, so he's he's doing this. I mean, it, it was still wrong. He was still he still ends up like selling, trying to sell these to street like to gangbangers and all yeah. that, and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, no, I see where like kind of got screwed. Yeah, and those are kind of like the out. best um, villains, I think, are ones that you 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 can um, empathize with their motivation. Right. Like, um, I really liked Magneto for that reason because he's kind of like represents the persecuted minority, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like the reason he wants to kill humans is because they've been hurting and killing mutants, and it's kind of like, I guess the um, the Michael Keaton character sounds like somebody who's sort of like cheated by like government contracts right. and corruption you know yeah so he tries to get back at them but also just provide for and, his family and it's neat too like i think they're kind of providing a little commentary on the mistreatment of the 9-11 first responders and how these people rushed in to clean up the wreckage after this huge devastating attack but then they couldn't get health care for some of the pro- the health problems that they mm-hmm. got from they got those. in the aftermath and so it's kind of like their government betrayed them in a way mm-hmm. um, and so i think it's neat that this kind of like that betrayal becomes that kind of betrayal becomes the motivation yeah for you can the, see that parallel so do you have anything else any final notes on spider-man or any thoughts, um, final thoughts? it was fantastic no, I think I covered everything. It All was right. super light. It was great. Highly recommend seeing it. Uh, it just came out in theaters. It'll mm-hmm. probably be pretty busy. It's gotten some good ratings on Rotten Tomato, uh, a couple other places. So check it out. Um, Tom Holland, fantastic. Uh, Spider-Man, best Peter okay. Parker. Thomas, do you have any like quick one-off pop culture recommendations that you'd like to give? Like the last good whatever you read, fill in the blank. War by Sebastian Younger. Okay. Sebastian Younger, uh, probably better known for... Um, writing the perfect storm okay followed a um platoon out in eastern afghanistan oh, wow. um and really the book of course is um a description of what happens when folks are on the front lines of a war but also um i think hits a little bit deeper on what makes combat so intriguing and so alluring to That's both fair. young men and why when they get back it is not just their actual wounds or even their mm-hmm. emotional wounds but relational wounds and the fact that for years they've had the chance to bond and live for something more live for someone else and that when they get back that is gone and that leaves a huge vacant yeah. hmm. deficiency Sounds in their devastating. life I like reading and so also and also if you want to check out very much the same topic um, parallel to writing that book um, they made a documentary entitled Restrepo. Yeah, Restrepo is wonderful. The, the guy who um, was a photographer that like got killed like after that documentary came out, which is, and also takes place in Afghanistan. And, it's, it's the exact same and thing. And I'm too. so grateful for people, like filmmakers, like the people that made Restrepo and people like Sebastian Shaw, because I know I would never want to experience combat firsthand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like the only time it would be like pick up a gun if like I'm defending my family or people weaker than me but I would never want to like go to war yeah but to be able to vicariously experience that through the lens of somebody else who has actually experienced it I think is incredibly valuable mm-hmm. and um heroic just to be able to bring that back so that people like me so that we can understand <laughs> so what's going understand on over that. there so that's War by Sebastian Unger and the documentary Restrepo uh, from Thomas, Troy talked about Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm-hmm. I talked about Glow. You can see the Netflix uh, documentary. or That's not a Netflix. Netflix show and the documentary are both on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of updates on Hip Squared. Uh, Mayplex Monks, who runs the boards for us. 
he and I are going to be building a sound studio. Mm -hmm. We're converting a workroom into a sound studio. Right. So that's where we hope to record season two, which should be beginning soon. Um, if you're listening to this now, that means all of season one should be available for download on iTunes. You can binge, catch up if you haven't listened to it, recommend it to somebody else uh, that you think would like this show. Um, we're especially trying to get the word out in Louisville, Kentucky about this show. Yeah. Uh, but if you have friends in Louisville, share it with them. Even if, and of course, like you don't have to be in Louisville to listen to this show. You can be listening to this show in Manchuria or New Zealand or wherever you are. Mm -hmm. uh, but this show is mostly recorded in Louisville, Kentucky today. We're in Fort Thomas, which is in the shadow of Cincinnati. Yeah, we're actually mom's home. We are at our childhood homes. Uh, Thomas is usually out in Albuquerque. He's like reverse engineer his alien technology out in the desert, and well, it's like we're not supposed to talk. About yeah, we're not supposed much. to talk about that. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll edit that out. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, thanks everybody for listening. Um, we have intro and outro music by DanielSongs.com. If you guys have any uh, use for royalty-free music for your project, uh, check out DanielSongs.com. If you'd like to support Hip Square, the best way to do that is to become a member of American Fantastic on Patreon. Uh, like the sign says, anything helps. Uh, you can also check out AmericanFantastic.com for more audio content. All of the old uh, Hip Squared episodes are also uh, hosted there. You can also find episodes of the American Fantastic Radio Hour. Any new audio projects that we begin will also be posted on AmericanFantastic.com. Um, and you can also like us on Facebook to keep up with us. And um, in addition to helping us out on Patreon, if you, can't, if you don't have the funds right now, we still want you to keep listening. But spread the word. Uh, let pe more people know about Hip Squared and American Fantastic. Um, and Mayplex Monk, even though he wasn't here to run the boards, I'm sure he's going to help us out and edit this episode together. Um, Troy, is there anything else you would like to say? No, man, I'm good. All right, we'll catch you next time. Toodles. Toodles. Toodles.